Wow, loving that. Grab your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Well, for six months, from September of last year to the beginning of March, uh, we walked through the Gospel of John. And John's Gospel is a unique account of the life of Christ. If you will, he uh, cracks open the door and allows us to peer into the Godhead. It's really stunning. Uh, the word that I used was miraculous. Peering into God. We saw the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, as John 1 calls him, the Word. We saw the Word become flesh, dwell among mankind. We saw his person in John. We saw him teach. We saw him do miracles and signs. Uh, we were given a glimpse into his mind. How amazing and miraculous is that? We were given a glimpse into all the surrounding things taking place around the cross and the resurrection. And uh, the Gospel of John is literally, it's just an invitation to peer into the miraculous. And uh, I thoroughly was challenged personally by it. Today we begin to enter Acts. Acts, Yahoo. Uh, this is the continuation of the story. If you don't know the Bible real well, Basically, it's this. We move from a gospel account. There's four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, we move from telling about the life of Christ through the resurrection to now Acts begins, if you will, kind of uh, the growth and development, as is, is Nick had prayed about, the growth and develop of God's people, his church. It's all about God's people and God's power, and it is glorious. Uh, I am so looking forward to watching these disciples, these guys, where at times you're like, you're lunkheads. And at times you're like, you got some potential. And then we're going to watch in these coming weeks, normal men, normal individuals, normal people, God's people, when coming in contact with God's power, it's just glorious. It's just glorious. We're actually going to, Watch them this week be given a God thing. The next week, Acts chapter 2, they're going to be empowered to do the God thing. And then in the chapters that we're going to cover, uh, Lord willing, chapters uh, 3 through 12, we're going to be watching them carrying out, living out God's thing. And we're going to watch them do it with some amazing results. We're going to watch them do it at some time with some failure. But I'm really looking forward to it. So buckle up. Acts chapter 1, the church has a thing. The church has a thing. Let's just start reading Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Let's pause there. A couple things. In the first book, uh, Acts is written by Luke. Uh, Luke's first book was what? Luke, the Bible is so creative isn't it? You know, so Luke was volume one, Acts is volume two, written by the human author, Luke. Luke was a Gentile believer. He was a physician. He was a close friend and companion of the apostle Paul. Um, he writes Luke. He writes Acts uh, by God's 
uh, by the Spirit of God working through him to pen down what God wanted written down. And Acts really is, if you will, 30 years after the resurrection. The story of what takes place for about 30 years afterwards. So that's the reason for the first book. To Theophilus, we really don't know that much about Theophilus. We do know this. He was uh, pretty much a Roman citizen. He could have been a Roman official. Theophilus, Theo, God, Phyllis, uh, has this, not a woman's name, but it has this idea of a friend. You could say that his name means friend of God. Was he a believer? We really don't know for sure. So I'm just going to say it that way. He could be a believer. At the time that Luke is writing this, he may not be a believer. And Luke is trying to write this account, but Luke's goal is to write an accurate account, not only of the life of Christ and Luke, but in Acts, the life of the church and what happens after the resurrection. So let's pick up from there. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. To them he, per, he presented himself alive after his suffering by many proofs, that's cool, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while saying, staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, not many what from now? Not many days from now. So here's four things that we're told about that Christ is doing here. He's presenting, he's appearing, he's speaking, and he's ordering. Uh, verse 3, he's presenting himself alive. I love the fact that it, it notes in here many proofs. It fits with last week and what I was really kind of hitting on uh, out of Luke 24, this idea that uh, God loves thinking people. And he knows that thinking people need proofs. I mean, he died. They know he died. And I don't want to be duped. I don't want to be played with. I want to know for sure, are you really alive? Or is this Casper time? Or are you, is something going on here? Or is it just wishful thinking? But many proofs he, he presents to them. Also in verse 3, he's appearing to them over 40 days. This is an in and out appearing. I wonder, you know, what if you were living and you knew that Jesus could show up at any time? Wouldn't that change how you'd live? Okay, let's take that one. No application needed there. Uh, the third one, verse 3, speaking about the kingdom of God. We'll talk about that in just a second. Verse 4, ordering them not to depart Jerusalem, but to do what? Wait. To wait. To wait. And to wait for the promise. Uh, to wait for a promise, to wait for the promise, which uh, we know is the Holy Spirit. Uh, and it, it's just days from now. Now, remember, these guys don't know Acts chapter 2 or 3 or 4 or 5 or 6 or any of that. Okay, and, and if you know the Bible a bit and you know the rest, some of the rest of the story or all the rest of the story here, uh, I would ask you work as hard as you can here to put yourself in these shoes of these guys who they don't know the rest of the story. All they know is this. Jesus is like, boop, 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 popping in and out. And he says, wait for days, and I'm going to do a power work on you. Ooh. Like, John, what is that? Wouldn't we be talking about, Greg, what is that? Wouldn't we be talking about that? Like, what's he going to do? I mean, how much did they really know? I don't fully know. I think we can look, and they're told a lot, but how much did they really grasp? So that's what's happening. So here's the one-word summation of Acts chapter 1. Wait, what an exciting chapter, isn't it? 
Hey, let's talk about the awesome, glorious, uh, phenomenal action of Acts chapter 1. Here it is. Ready? Wait. Wow. No, preach on that one. Okay. Here we are. But that's what's going on. Wait. Uh, Acts chapter 1, in all frankness, is nothing glorious in it, if you will. I mean, it's not like, ooh, ah, going on. It's just basically one word, wait. Well, let's pick up verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. I think this is really intriguing to me uh, and yet understandable. Uh, the disciples are stuck on the kingdom thing. And if you look in this, Jesus has been talking about there's going to be a God-powering thing, and yet they're stuck on the kingdom thing. That was so the reality of that day. If you were a Jew of that day, that was your thing. That was the thing that was on your mind. When is, uh, go back just a, a month earlier, if you will, go back a month earlier, and Jesus is coming in the triumphal entry of the king. Uh, they are looking for a kingdom with the Messiah that was conquering their enemies. Now, just keep this in mind, and we'll see this as time moves along in Acts. Their idea of God's kingdom was not quite Jesus' idea of the kingdom, okay? And so here they are already with all this other talk. They're stuck on kingdom. And so Jesus answers them. I love this fact, even in, a, even in what might seem like a really bad, dumb question uh, Jesus answers them, and it's basically this. It's above your pay grade. <laughs> Guys, it's above your pay grade. Uh, there is certain information that is just plain none of your business. I got a question for you. Are you okay with letting God be God? I mean, seriously on this. Are you okay with allowing God to be the one in control of like everything, including time. Are you okay with that? You know, understandably so. A lot of people ask, you know, or make the statement, I won't believe God until I understand all of God. Good luck. If that was the case, there would be no faith. Okay. Another one, how can God do that? I understand the question. You see that all through the Psalms. You just sit back sometimes and you're like, seriously? All those tornadoes? <laughs> God, why did you allow? Why didn't you? When are you going to answer my prayer? We all know this, don't we? Yep. Don't we? Yep. We all know this. Yep. Hey, Let's let God be God and we be people at his feet. That's the order. My job and your job is not to push him off the seat or like to cuddle up with him on the seat and see everything and play God. He's got that covered really, really well. And I'm glad he does because if I were there, we're in big trouble. Because like everybody would be dead. <laughs> Except for my wife and my family. <laughs> okay. And it's just the fact of it all. Are you letting God be God? Verse 8. Let me just read verse 7. He said to them, It is not for, for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed for his own, by his own authority, but 
In other words, this is not your thing. The time thing is not your thing, guys. But I do have something I want to tell you that is your thing. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. It's a given thing. It's a, it's a given power thing. It's a Holy Spirit-given power thing. And it's coming soon. We'll come back to that. Verse 9. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. It's like, guys, I got a th- that's not your thing. I've got a thing for you. Bye. <laughs> and while they were, verse 10, gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes, and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper rooms where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. Not Judas the betrayer, he's already dead. Verse 14, all these, love this, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women, Mary the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So Jesus, after giving the church thing, he ascends into heaven, they go back to Jerusalem, they go to the upper room, and verse 14, they're together, one accord doing prayer. That just pauses me to stop and just ask, Harvest, is that us? Together, one accord, devoted to prayer. I just want to ask in small groups, is that your small group? Together, one accord, devoted to prayer. It's a challenge for us, isn't it? Verse 15. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120 and said, Brothers, the scriptures had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now, in parentheses, now this man bought a field with the reward of his wickedness and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and All his bowels gushed out, yow, and it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the field was called in their own language Akeldama, that is, field of blood, for it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it and let another take his office. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on this, but basically Peter stands up during these days of waiting and says, hey guys, we got to get the ball rolling. We, we have one of the disciples is gone, as you know. We need to fill his spot. I just sum it up that way. So they get out the dice, verse 21. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, in other words, he's describing the type of man that they have to pick, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two who met those qualifications, Joseph, called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed, and they said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen 
to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And I'm going to put in by parentheses here, and by faith, they cast lots for them. And I think a lot of times people look at this casting lots thing, basically it was two dice. Uh, Half the dice was white, half was black. If they rolled it, if it came up white and black, that meant no decision. If it came up black, it meant no. If it came up white, it meant yes. So they rolled the dice. Like, can I just say, you know, sometimes it's like, life would be so much easier if we just like roll the dice. But what if it comes up what you're not thinking? I just want to tell you, I really, in this, this is interesting. I don't want to go on. I want to get on a side trail. But I think this is a very faith action here. They cast lots for them, and a lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. So they're waiting, and they have something to wrap up, so they wrap it up. If I could summarize Acts chapter 1 in one word, it would be what? Wait. If I could add a couple more words, it would be this. In a few days, a big God thing will happen on you, and it must happen on you in order for you to be able to do my thing. So wait. So wait for my thing. I've got a thing, and I'm going to empower you to do my thing. So wait. It's hard to wait, isn't it? A couple psalms on waiting. Psalm 27, verse 14, wait for the Lord, be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Psalm 33, verse 20, our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield for our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us even as we hope in you. Psalm 37, verse 34, wait for the Lord and keep his way. Psalm 38, 15, but for you, O Lord, do I wait. It is you, O Lord, my God, who will answer. Final, Psalm 130, verse 5. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. Wait. The Lord holds the clock. Right now, their job is to wait. That's Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 2, kaboom. The waiting is done. That's next week. But let me do this. Let's go back to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Let's spend a little bit of time with this. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. God has a thing. God has a thing. In fact, I want for you to consider this. This thing has been ever since the very beginning. Uh, Consider Adam and Eve, Genesis chapter 1. Tells us that God created mankind. And really the first directive he gives them is be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. I want more. I want more. I want more just like you, Adam and Eve. Fill the whole earth with people like you. I want that kind of people, more of you. Noah, Genesis chapter 9, after the flood, 
Again, God repeats it. Noah, family, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. I want more like you. Go to Abraham, Genesis 12 and following. I want to make a great nation. Uh, Abraham, look at the stars. I want it to be as many as the number of stars in the sky. I can't imagine being in a place out in the desert where there's no lights around and you can see all the stars. Moses. Moses goes and he pulls some two million slaves out of Egypt by God's directive. Why? So that God can put a people together, not just so that they can go and have like uh, slushies and, and, and great time and, you know, honey and all this kind of stuff in a great place, but for the purpose of that they would become a nation of priests unto the world. It wasn't just about those who were coming out of Egypt. It was about the whole world. David, David becomes king and God is like, listen, I want a whole kingdom unto me. It's never been about this individualistic, uh, God has redeemed me for me so I can be all about my thing. It's never been that way. And in a very individualistic world that we live and in a very individualistic culture that we live, we oftentimes actually present the gospel that way. It is true. The gospel is to redeem individuals unto Christ, but to redeem individuals unto a people that that people would become a force for God to the world. And we get so keyed in on what's my thing and, and, and what's God's thing for me thing. And, and we lose the sight of, frankly, I think we get off and it's not God's thing anymore. It's actually my thing. And then we come back to Matthew 28, 19 and 20. And Christ says to the disciples, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. Go and make. As you're going, make disciples. That's the call. And here we come back to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. The thing is that God's people would reach the world. God has a thing. And along with that, God's thing is now the church's thing. And when you think about it, God could do this all directly. But in his sovereignty, he's chosen to do this through his redeemed people. And today, that redeemed people is his capital C, church. His people. And this is given to us. This is an us thing. We are part of that. And yes, it means me individually and you individually. But first and foremost, this is about a people unto the Lord. It's an us church thing. It's a by God's power thing. It's a, you can see in verse eight, it's a you will receive power. And we're going to talk about that in more detail next week. Uh, it's really, really good stuff here because I think sometimes it's just like we see an entity. Now all of a sudden an entity, the spirit comes. It's, I think it's more defined than that. We can't do this by our power. If we're trying to do this by our power, let's just pack the bags and let's just go home because it's a joke. This can only be done, God's thing with his people can only be done by God's enabling, by God's empowering, and that's what next week is about. And I want to notice here that in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, what is unique about this is that God's thing has a plan to it. I love the fact when God doesn't just say do something, but he also tells, in essence, how. And here's the plan. Uh, uh, start with the local. Start with the urban uh, epicenter. Uh, start with your home base. That's Jerusalem. Uh, then go regional. That's Judea and Samaria. Uh, then to the ends of the earth. And then Jesus leaves. 
I got a task for you. Adios. Uh, but he leaves for a reason, as we talked about John, because of the promised spirit that's going to be coming next Sunday. And, and then look, verse 10. It's kind of like these two angels, and they're kind of like, in my own words, if you will, it's like, don't just stand there. He's coming back like that. And kind of encompassed it within that is almost this thing of, so get after it. Don't just stand here. Why are you standing here? When I read through that, I'm like, well, kind of duh. I mean, who sees that? Give me a moment to take this in. And yet I will also say it puts a sense of urgency with it. Get after it. Don't just be looking at the cross and it's like, that is so awesome. Don't just be looking at the empty tomb and it's like, I can't believe that. Don't just consider the ascension and just be like personally enamored by it. Get after it. That's what all of that is about. Equipping you and being able to provide redemption for you that you and I as a people can get after the task. God has a thing and God's thing is his church's thing. I have a question. Is the church's thing, which is God's thing, your thing? Is it my thing? Or do I have a thing that's really not God's thing? Here's some tongue twister. For our thing to be God's thing, your thing must be God's thing. For our thing as a church to be God's thing, that means your thing has to be God's thing. We have to be in line together. Oh, and how cool was that? Uh, Verse 14, and they were all there in one accord, devoting themselves together on track. You see at this point, This is where it's like, okay, cool. God's given us a thing. I love that idea. God's given us a thing. Okay, so what's the program? That is so American, isn't it? That's just so American. So Doug, are you going to unleash like the program to get this done? I'll tell you this. We really are in some serious work on getting more effective on putting some stuff together on structure and specifically with local, regional, international, beyond our walls. And I am looking forward to the day, literally, where one of the trademark things about this church family is that we are getting after things locally, regionally, and internationally in a serious capacity. And I will tell you, we're working on some of those. We're getting some of those. But I'm talking about, first of all, is that like in your life? Do you see that call on you? Redeemed person in Christ, this is your thing. So question, is it your thing? Because if it's not your thing, it's not our thing. In fact, I would ask, is your life structured to be about God's thing? Or does God's thing get time slotted in the open moments when it's convenient or when it's cost effective? I'm serious. Are you structuring your life around God's thing? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. Jerusalem, that includes right here. Right here in this theater. That also includes right across the halls. If we're not discipling our children, and if we're not a part of doing that, if we're not engaged in a serious way, that's why we as a church, one of the things we do is it's not just people who happen to really love kids, and it's like their thing. No, because I say it this way. That's God's thing. They're God's thing. And that's why one of the things we've tried to instill in us, listen, if they're God's thing raising the next generation for Christ and they're in our own house, then we need to make it our thing, whether I love doing kids ministry or not. That's hard, isn't it? Because for a lot of us, that's not our thing. 
I so remember being put in charge at a larger church of children's ministry, and I didn't know that was part of my job description week one. Surprise. I am like, that is so not my thing. Kids are great for other people. (laughs) And I will tell you, over those four plus years, just got a whole new... I was not, it was not my thing. And yet it's God's thing. And if it's God's thing, it's got to be my thing. Even if it's hard for me, even if I'm not really great at it. It's hard stuff, but that's the reality. Listen, we can walk away right at this moment from Acts chapter one, verse eight. I'm gonna kind of leave it here in some ways, but we can walk away so frustrated and guilty right now, can't you? Can't we all walk away and it's like, that's God's thing and like, I'm really bad at God's thing. True? And we walk away discouraged. So here's what I want to kind of put on the plate. Let me try and put some skin on the flesh. (laughs) Or skin on the bones. We could do that too. Number one. Here's a couple things I would just want to encourage us and leave us. Because all folks, all this is going to be built out here in these coming weeks. I would just say this. Church, own God's thing. Church family, you as individuals, us corporately, own God's thing. God has a reach the ends of the world thing. And that needs to be our thing. That needs to be your thing. If we don't own it, just we won't get after it. But you and I have to know it and own it. Secondly, we have to do it. And I would suggest here simply, I want to be a simple guy, two ways to do that. Life in general. This is just a call. It's not like certain times of the week, certain times of the month, certain times of the day that we are fulfilling the Great Commission, that we're seeking to have an impact for Christ. It's all the time. It's at home. It's at work. It's at school. It's with your friends. It's with your neighbors. It's with your family. This should just be who we are as a whole. Secondly, I would also say life in specific. In fact, specifically how to consider this. Let me put it in a package. I think we're supposed to gather together corporately on Sundays or weekends on a regular basis, though God's word calls us to do that. We're to be corporate worshiping people. And on a regular basis, we're getting together and that's a priority, just what we're doing here this morning. And we're corporately worshiping and also together in that we're corporately serving one another. That's where the worship and the work comes in with Harvest. I would also say getting involved in a small group. That's kind of where life is lived here. That's how we do life together. Getting in a small group, it's once a week, three out of four weeks. Get together. So I'm going to church and I'm engaged and I'm serving at my church. And I'm involved in a small group. I just say this, you know what? Everybody can do that. Let me bring in the local, regional, and international. Here's something to consider. What if two or three times every year, you and I specifically were engaged in some kind of local ministry impact? Loving in the name of Christ, loving with the gospel of Christ. Within our local west side of Indianapolis. What if just two or three times? You could do that, can't we? Just two to three times a year. And then regionally, what if once every three years, 
you and I were involved in some kind of regional ministry impact. And Pastor Eric is going to be helping us, aren't you? Eric, we're going to be getting that together, and we're going to be having more of that as this year we'll have some and building on and some opportunities for that to be able to do over the coming. And it just once every three years, we can do that, couldn't we? Couldn't you? I mean, really, you could. And then what if once every five years we decided that uh, you decided that you're going to take a trip outside of our walls out of the country? And go somewhere internationally. Just one every five years. It's like if you were to save $25 a month, you, you, you wouldn't even have to raise funds for that. I'll just say, you can do that. Consider this. What if then we had 500 adults and teens doing that? That would mean that every day with people living in general the gospel, every day we have people spattered all throughout the west side of Indianapolis with a disciple-impacting mindset. And that'd be 500 people. And this is just one church, by the way. 500 people. And then we had a church where every week we were committed to getting together and serving together. Man, we could just like rock our own souls and just change the lives of the next generation within our own house. We could do that. And then if we had, now we have 18 small groups, but then we have 25 small groups and we're engaging in the word together on an ongoing basis. And then out of this, if we did three times a year, a local thing, that would have been 30 people every week averaged out would be loving people in the name of Christ. And then what if it was once every three years we did a regional? That means every year, 166 people would be doing ministry in some kind of weekend or couple day thing here in Indiana or across the United States. 166 people every year. That would rock. And then on top of that, and once every five years, that means we would have 100 people every year going outside of our borders internationally to have an impact. Mark, could you come on up? Would that not be cool? Wouldn't it? I just want to say this, by doing all of this, it kind of puts some picture together that, friends, this is very doable. When you and I, come on up, Mark. When you and I gather together, everybody's wondering, why am I putting this guy on the spot? True, wouldn't it be? And I just want to, this is the kind of thing that is very doable. If we just were to take this kind of stuff to heart, I want to tell you, friends, by God's empowering our availability and our commitment we could literally, in the name of Christ, rock the west side of Indianapolis. And not only that, it would completely, completely change our own lives. In fact, the reason I've asked Mark Lamb to come is Mark here uh, had opportunity to take a trip over to Africa. And I just wanted him to come and, and, and just share two things. And the first of just kind of, Mark, you had an opportunity to go over to Africa, just Tell the church family uh, what you did. We've got some pictures you can kind of see down there, but some pictures up, and Mark's just hidden way up there in the very back. But just tell us a little, take a couple minutes and tell us about that. Yeah, last October, I went with the Boaz Project, which is a ministry that uh, mostly takes care of orphans throughout the world, uh, orphanages, and mm-hmm. provides support in terms of um, education and career planning and just giving them gifts and, and love. And so... Um, we went and we had a two-pronged ministry of um, one thing we did was run a medical clinic, which um, we'll show some slides of that. We also had a, a Bible school for the orphans. And God really was at work. The orphans really grew, grew attached to us, and we enjoyed the kids and just the love we could show to them. And the clinic was very uh, very effective. We had several people in line to, to uh, be, in, see, be seen at the clinic, and um, were able to provide some good care. And 
see their appreciation for that. I kind of wanted to mention a little bit how I got into this this trip. Um, I really didn't want to go to Kenya. I'd been there, <laughs> I'd been there 17 years earlier, and I'd gotten sick a lot when I was there, and I didn't really want to go back. But we had a prayer letter from the Boaz Project. We, we support them. And I was reading the letter a little bit, and it said on there, we have a desperate need for a doctor to go to Kenya in our trip. It was like three months from then. And I just set the letter down, went out and did some yard work, and then all of a sudden it kind of hit me. Wait a minute, what did that say? And... Um, you're a doctor, aren't you? Yeah. Uh, so, so I remember. Yeah. <laughs> and so the, uh, <laughs> so I just prayed right then on the spot, God, I don't want to go back to Kenya. You know I don't want to go back, but if you want me to go and leave my family for a week, then I will do it. And it turns out that he wanted me to go. There wasn't anybody, any other doctor anywhere near that could have done it. And also I found out later that the Boaz Project, they were praying fervently for a doctor to go, but didn't even think about me one second. It was, I was totally out of their radar, so it was, it was kind of neat that way. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So you had a team that you met over. What's going on in these two bottom pictures? Those are our security guards on the right. There was a... Now, those are some serious security guards, yeah. and I want them. Secret service. <laughs> <laughs> and we were praying over the guards in that picture okay. in the bottom, and then we were, that was our team on the top there. Yeah. yeah. And then... This, some, this is the church we went to on, on Sunday, and that was some of the community around us. Okay. Let's go to the next slide. And there's our clinic, people are waiting outside in the hallway for the clinic, and then just some of our interaction with the patients there and mm-hmm. praying over them on the right side there. Well, that's kind of a little bit hard to come up, but just that praying over people as well. And we had our clinic at a Christian school. This, these are the kids that went to the Christian school, and some of the orphans were part of the school that we uh, ministered to. Mm-hmm. I think we've got one more slide. Yeah. And it's just uh, with, some, with some of the kids at Bible school on the right there, just having some activities with Bible school and... The, is that uh, not like the coolest picture up there? Yeah. I love that. <laughs> That's sweet. Yeah. And then that was the orphanage over there on the, on the middle okay. there. Well, Mark, also the other question I wanted to ask was, tell us, so going on this trip, how has this impacted you? How has the Lord used this even in your own life? I just wanted to mention a couple lessons that God taught me when I, when I was on the trip. The first one is I've been on three mission trips, and each time when you go on a mission trip, the enemy shows up. Um, without fail. And just, we had four types of adversity hit us. We, our luggage was lost for about half of the trip, and that had a lot of our medicines and a lot of our Bible school supplies in there. We had some power outages, some water outages, so we didn't always smell so great or look so great. And we had um, also the threat of, um, well, Kenya was going into war with Somalia at the time, and so there was a threat of um, Somalians were kidnapping white people out of Kenya and setting out bombs throughout Kenya. So we had, that's why we had the security people up there to, to help us. So we had at least four things that were kind of adverse that we saw happen, but we also saw that God was not at all phased by those things. He was able to work right through us powerfully, even with our, our limitations there. So that, that's one thing I learned. The second thing I learned, I had a little bit of trouble sleeping certain nights, and um, one night the Lord kind of showed me a picture when I was having trouble sleeping. He showed me a picture of several huge cargo ships coming in from the sea with all kinds of good things in, the, in these ships. And they come to the dock and they unload their supplies. And then it's our job as Christians to take those, those good things, that grace, and distribute it to, to the rest of the world who needs it, to be his um, grace distributors. Amen. So those are some neat things. That so would you say that this trip has not only had impact in sharing the love for Christ somewhere else, but even in your own life? Yes. Absolutely. And I know for me as well, we've got a lot of people here who have been on trips as well. And by the way, over the weeks, as we go through Acts, you're going to hear more than ever that we've done before 
stories of people and what God's doing in small groups, what God's doing in people who have gone to places and serving and kids' ministries and various things. Because we want Acts to be able to be our story as well of how we grow in understanding God's thing and living it out. Mark, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Let's pray. Lord, we just want to take a moment here and just draw ourselves under the call that you have. You've given us a thing. And uh, that thing is a reach the world thing. Lord, it starts right here, but it also goes out. Father, I would just pray for us as a church. I'd pray for me as well, certainly, that we would grow in our conviction of knowing what this is all about, that we grow in our passion for knowing what this is all about. And Lord, that we would be a people that are all about your thing. 